Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Turn with me in your scriptures to Acts 16. We're going to jump in here. We'll go a few other places. As I was praying a few weeks ago, I was asking God what he's up to. And I think that's something that we probably should all make a practice, that we should say, okay, God, what are you doing? Because it's one thing to be right. It's another thing to be right at the right time. And I think it's really key that we understand what God is doing in the seasons that we're living in so that we can know how to partner with him in what he's doing. I love what First Chronicles 12.32 says. It's talking about um, these specific, the specific uh, group of people, and it said that they knew the days and the times and what Israel should do. They understood what was going on. You see, it's one thing just to say, hey, I'm going to follow God by a set of principles. And it's another thing to say, I'm going to follow the very presence of God. You see, a a lot of Christianity is principle-driven. And I believe that God has principles, but he's calling us actually to be driven by his presence. And so principles will get you to live a nice clean life, but presence will allow you to do what God is doing. And what God is looking for is a people who are joining in what he's doing in the whole world. And as I was, was praying the other day, I, I was asking God, okay, God, what, what are you up to? Because this season has not been fun. Anybody else, like this has been a little bit of a challenging season, like pandemic, elections, finances, civil unrest, racial tension, all of that stuff. Like it's been a bit of a doozy, right? Anybody? Just me. Okay. And, and I, I want to know what God's up to because God is not, he's, he's not absent. You see, a lot of the times we want to ask the question, God, where are you? And I don't think it's a totally illegitimate question, but Hebrews tells us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And so when we ask the the question, God, where are you? We have to make sure that we're not accusing him of being absent or distant because he's always with us. And so instead, I found that a better question is not where are you, but what are you up to? Because when I know what he's up to, then I can have peace. I love what Psalm 2 says. It says, why do the nations rage? And it goes on to say that God is on his throne and laughing. Now, as a kid, I knew that if my parents weren't laughing, weren't at at rest, at peace, then I had a hard time being at peace. But my parents were typically at peace, even in tough situations. And if they were at peace, I didn't really care what was going on. I could be at peace. If God is on his throne laughing, let me say this. He's not laughing at you, (laughs) at least most of the time. I've done some stuff that's caused God to laugh at me. 
But typically, he's not laughing at you. He's laughing at the situation because he's not overwhelmed by what's going on. Pandemic. Political tension. Racial tension. Financial stress. Economy. Struggling like crazy. And yet God laughs. He's not laughing at us. He's saying, I'm okay in this situation. And that means that we get to be okay in this situation. Amen? And so I want to, so yeah, I was asking God what he's up to. I'll tell you that in a minute. Let's go to Acts 16. This story blows my mind. So this story is Paul and Silas, they're in Philippi. Um, I've been through, actually through Philippi. There's now a town not very far from there in Greece called Kavala. Um, not much left in Philippi. But they're in Philippi, and there's this girl that's following them around. And she is actually possessed by a demon, and yet she's crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God. So, the demon that is possessing her is actually allowing her to tell the future. And she's saying, hey, this is what's going on. These men have the most high God. And Paul just gets annoyed with it. Like he allows it to happen for several days, but he just gets annoyed with her. So he casts the demon out of her. And then he gets himself in trouble. Because the people that owned this poor girl possessed by a demon were actually making money off of her. They were exploiting her. And so the demon left, and when the demon left, her superpower left, and now she's not worth what she was worth. And so Paul and Silas find themselves in the hands of an angry mob. And the angry mob starts raging, starts going crazy. And so then the political leaders, because they want to hold on to their political power, they jump in on the raging. On the, and what, what they end up doing, it says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. They had not done anything wrong but deliver this girl, but their authority was challenged. It says after that, they were severely flogged. I've never been flogged. I've been spanked before. It was actually good for me. But I've never been flogged. But severely flogged is, is a whole other level of flogging. They, they were hurt pretty bad. It says they were thrown into prison and the jailer commanded and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. So understand this. They're not like around the edge where they could escape easily. They're put like in the dungeon, essentially. And it says that when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So now they're chained by their feet in the dungeon. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Now the word hymns there means songs celebrating God. Picture this with me. These men have poured out their love courageously on this city. 
now, they've, because of it, they've been severely flogged and they've been imprisoned in the dungeon. I would only imagine the pain that goes with severe flogging and now they're put in the middle of a dungeon. My understanding of a dungeon would be that it would be really dark. Like there's not even light going on if they're in the inner cell. There's no windows. They didn't have LED lighting. So they're probably in a dark spot. And it says that their response was to pray and sing songs celebrating God. Think about that. They're not singing why me songs. They're not singing songs about their victimization and about their wounding. They are there in that place and they're celebrating God. It doesn't seem as if, I could be wrong about what their prayers are, but I'm thinking if they're singing hymns, they're not trying to say, hey, God, get us out of this situation right now. They're just celebrating God. And I love what happens next. It says, and the other prisoners were listening to them suddenly. Say suddenly. suddenly. There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he withdrew his sword and was about to kill himself. He thought that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The story goes on. That, that jailer walks them out of the prison cell, takes them to his house. His whole house is saved, and they all get baptized. I want to think just for a second about the attitude of Paul and Silas in this place Because I, I believe for us, that's the example. They're in that place of suffering, of misery, of rejection, of being misunderstood, of, of difficulty. They've seen James, the half-brother of Jesus, arrested and then killed. They saw the same thing happen with, or heard of the same thing happening with John the Baptist. And there they are not afraid, but celebrating. I believe this. Two things. One, that God is looking for a people who are mature enough to celebrate him when the whole world is turned against them. When every circumstance and situation seems adversarial and quite possibly seems hopeless from a human perspective. Now, none of you, because I'm talking to you, none of you are imprisoned physically and with stocks around your feet. However, you may be in a situation that seems hopeless. You may be in a relationship that is bad, that's abusive, that's damaging. You may have lost your job. You may be stuck. I've had 
I've had days where I could just feel like the anxiety going on in our nation. And I just, it was like miserable. I could feel the heaviness of what was going on. And I, I believe that it's in those places that God is looking for a people who will celebrate him no matter what. Let me be really honest with you. That's not always my first response. And I believe this, that there is compassion for you if that has not been your first response. But I also believe that God wants to take us to that place. What's incredible, the second thing I want to point out in this story is that their celebration, their thanksgiving, their gratitude became the point of breakthrough, not only for them, but for a whole prison full of people, the jailer and his family. Could it be that whatever you're facing, whatever it is that's weighing on you, whatever pressure you have, whatever's got your feet stuck in stocks, maybe it's spiritually that you feel bound because of your circumstances and you can't move on. There's this thing that's holding you down. Could it be that learning Thanksgiving in the middle of that situation becomes the breakthrough not only for you, but for a whole group of people? So often, we allow the pain of our circumstances to cause us to fix our eyes on us And the next thing that we tend to do is question the goodness of God, right? Like if if God is good, then why is this happening? If God's on his throne, then why is our nation feel like a mess? If God is a good father and a good provider, then why are my finances struggling? And so often when we fix our eyes on us, we never get to see Jesus as he walks into our situation and brings his hand and his breakthrough. But could it be that your circumstance, your situation is actually not about you? Now, it seems like it's just about you, right? Like when we're going through it, it's it's like, man, nobody's ever, I'm the only one, this is horrible, why me? But could it be that God actually has more for you when you learn what it looks like to maturely fix your eyes on him in the middle of the chaos? Go with me to James chapter one. Start in verse two. Read these first four words with me. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. Man, this must be good. This is gonna get like, where this, if it starts off, consider it pure joy, then it's about to tell me something so good that it's going to get me excited because all that is right here is joy. 
my brothers and sisters, wait a second. No, I can't say that. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. No. No, 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 no. That can't be. That's got to be a mistranslation. That's, there, wait a second. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James's perspective on difficulty is drastically different than most people I know. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Has anybody in the room had hardship come their way and they start jumping up and down like, come on. Come on, this is gonna be good. Woo, thank you, Jesus. I lost my job. Yeah, this is gonna be good. I got hurt and I can't go to work anymore. This is awesome. Could it be that James, and I believe the story we just read, Paul and Silas, knew something about God and his grace that we don't grasp? I think the reason why James could say, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, is because James was like, he understood that God was like a major league baseball player playing in the little leagues. And, and it's like, who, who's, who's the, your favorite baseball player, favorite guy at the plate? Anybody? Nobody. Nobody watches baseball. Biggio. Craig Biggio. Okay, we'll go, we'll go back a little bit. I like Biggio. So imagine Craig Biggio at your kid's baseball game. And he's actually on your kid's team. And there is this hot shot eight-year-old pitcher who's got a mean curveball. And he's excited about his curveball because he thinks that his curveball may just work against Hall of Famer Craig Biggio. And Craig Biggio, he's just got a big old grin on his face. Now, he's in it to win it. Like, he's not just Hall of Fame Craig Biggio coming to play with the kids. Like, this is a real game for him. And he's in it to win it. And so he's just waiting. And that kid, he throws... I mean 50 miles an hour. I mean, he is smoking other eight-year-olds. And Biggio's just, he's just, he's got a big old grin because he is going to go yard on that eight-year-old. James understood that the goodness of God and the strength of God 
and the grace of God were sufficient enough in every circumstance. And so no matter what the enemy or circumstances threw at him, he was going to sit back and watch God knock it out of the park. He knew it. He, he, he knew that it wasn't like, oh no, this is going to be really bad. But it's like those, those cheesy action movies that we all love where we know that our guy is going to come through at the end and it's just going to be like bodies everywhere and he's going to walk off with a big old cloud of fire and smoke and explosions and not even look back. And so James can say, consider it pure joy because I know the end result that's coming. The end result is this. That I'm going to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there's this process that God takes us through to get to that point. It says, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So hardship comes and you can know this. I know that God is good, but I'm being tested in my faith to develop enduring faith, persevering faith. I know that the situations look really difficult and dangerous and dim, but God is really good. And so no matter what comes my way, I'm going to trust that he's really good. And so we have to understand that every time there is a promise, every time we see God move on our behalf, there will always be testing to the promise. There will always be testing to the promise. Many of us started 2020 with the like, this is my year deal, right? Can y'all go back like pre-pandemic? We're like, come on, like bring on 2020. It's the year of clear vision. I'm going to thrive. This is my year. The economy looks good. I'm headed into my dreams. April 1 hits. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Did God go on vacation? This is really difficult. June 1 hits. People are riding in the streets. There's crazy stuff going on. November hits, and it's like, I don't even know what happened. What happened to our, like, right? Do we have the same God that we started January in? Do you have the right to the same hope for 2020? You see, I believe this. I believe that this is the year we all, everybody's saying 2020 is clear vision. I believe it's the year for us actually to see clearly. And I feel like what's happening is that our faith is being tested because we have a God of promise who is not bad. He hasn't left us, but he's actually waiting to meet us. And if we will stay in the fight, we will see the goodness of the God in the land of the living. And the temptation for all of us is to abort the process. Is to just say, oh man, this is too tough. Count me out. But it's God's desire that our faith would be purified. That, that word 
testing. It says the testing of your faith. That word testing means to make authentic. So it's, it's not just to see what's there, but it's actually like they would do purifying silver or gold. They turn up the heat so that the dross, the ugly stuff would come to the top, scrape it off, and what you have is more authentic, more pure, and it gets rid of all the impurities. You do it again and again and again until what's left is pure. James goes on in chapter two to talk about three different types of faith. He talks about the faith that has no fruit, the faith that has no action. What he's talking about is an intellectual faith. It's not, it's not a faith of the heart, it's an intellectual faith. And, and, and it, that's not a bad place to have faith, but that's not the height of faith. So things will make sense But if you lead with an intellectual faith, then you can be argued out of your faith if somebody smarter with a better argument comes along. And so it's not the point of faith. So James is saying, I want to see faith that bears fruit. And then he talks about a second kind of faith. He talks about a faith that even the demons have and they shudder. That's an emotional faith. They know that God is real and they have an emotional response to it. That's not the kind of faith that leads you into faithfulness. That's not the kind of faith that leads you into being mature, lacking nothing. And then he talks about the faith that bears fruit. And what God is doing is he is dealing with us, you and me, on the foundation of our faith. That's what this season is about. He is In the words of Jesus in John 15, he is pruning us. And he is taking away everything that does not give life. Everything that steals life. The reason why you prune a fruit plant is because you want to take away all of the branches that are stealing life that that should go to producing fruit, but instead they're growing and getting in the way. And so what God is doing in you and I is he's testing our faith so that what is will become more fruitful. And so he's pushing us. He's allowing us to be pushed and say, okay, are you just in this for an intellectual thing? Is that the height of your spirituality, the height of your faith? Now, here's what I love about God is I've found that when he reveals something, that he always backs it up. And I've found that even the best arguments, maybe that science or history can throw at the Bible, that the truth is it always stands. Now, there are seasons in science and history throughout time where it seems as if the word of God doesn't stand, but it always proves itself out. And... The height of my faith is not based on the historical or scientific validity of the Bible. My faith is actually based on the person of Jesus. I love the Bible. I believe the Bible. But my, my faith is found in the person revealed in the Bible, the author of the Bible. I love when the presence of God shows up and I can sense it, feel it in an emotional way. 
Like, that's incredible. And my faith is not founded on feelings. I know that God is always present, and I love it when I feel him. But if I don't ever feel him again, that doesn't take away the fact that he's present, that he's always present, no matter if I feel it or not. And I believe that God is refining us so that we begin to trust in him, regardless of our intellect, regardless of the arguments against him. Steve always says, if you can argue somebody into the kingdom, then you can argue them out of it. And it's, there, there are seasons in life where it is fun to follow Jesus. Like where it's like, man, I've got my friends with me. We're laughing. We're having a really good time. And there are seasons when those friends leave you because you're following Jesus. And if I allow my faith to be driven by emotionality, then I won't be found faithful. But it's actually God's heart that we would bear fruit. And what he's doing with us is he's refining us so that we'll have a faith that will last. And so I believe this, that he wants to change the tune of our song and the sound of our prayer. So often we face difficulty and hardship from a place of fear instead of faith. In fact, many of us pray prayers of faith, I mean of fear. You pray prayers of fear. Why me, God? God, would you do this? Would you fix this for me? This is my problem. Would you deal with it? Instead of praying prayers of faith, which is saying, God, I know you. I trust you. I trust that you're good. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I know you're coming to my rescue, but even if you're not, I'm still going forward. I believe that God is looking for a mature people, that we would be found lacking nothing. I believe that's what God has for you. And I believe this, that there are some areas that God has revealed the wrestling of your faith, where you're struggling, where you're having difficulty, where you are not considering it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And I believe tonight is the night for an upgrade. That he actually wants to change the way that you think if you'll allow him to. Scripture says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I want to propose to you that even when it's difficult, even when it's really hard, the character of God has not changed and he's still being kind. That when it feels like the world is closing in on you, God is still being kind. Sometimes, his kindness pulls us out of the situation. But oftentimes, his kindness sustains us and strengthens us and even prunes us in the middle of the situation. I believe that God is looking for a people who will per persevere and grow as a result of it. Would you stand with me? In just a few minutes, 
our ministry team's gonna come forward. And as they come forward, I just really believe that many people here are in a desperate situation and you felt like God has left you. Like maybe not fully left you, but you just felt like in this area, he's given up on me. And I believe that God wants to make his compassion known to you. That he wants to pour out his kindness on you. And so our team would love to pray with you. They would love to pray with you if you have any needs. I I really just have a feeling that there are some people here that are even suffering physically and God wants to pour out his compassion on you in the form of healing. But I believe that God wants to pour out his compassion on you this evening. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you feel rejected by God. And tonight is a great night to give your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm gonna trust you. I need you. Our team would love to pray with you. But before we do that, I just wanna give us an opportunity to make some declarations. Are you all right with that? We're just gonna declare some truths. And the reason why we declare is this. We want truth to rest in our hearts. And so I'm gonna say a line, then you'll repeat after me. God, you're good. You're always good. In every situation, in every circumstance, you're good to me. Say it again. You're good to me. So I trust you. I take joy in hardship because I know you're going to hit a home run every time. Thank you that you're good, that you're kind, that you're gentle. In Jesus' name, amen.